Welcome to Galaxy Brains, the weekly podcast from Galaxy Research. We burst into verse with the music we're making. See me at the finish line to take rings and learn about the power with the dude Blake King, because I'm breaking chains. Pull your stake up easy, verbal Khaleesi, and I'm fire breathing. Wired, never tired, like I'm flying through the breezy. Flip a couple coins, see me spitting on the TV. And I don't slip, dipping in my whip. Yo, I'm souping up my wheels like I'm pushing through a bit. Put my cold heart into space, rocket man like Elton, slamming every hater like Ben Shelton, and I'm done up. Y'all could see me on the run-up Ain't a drop shot gonna keep me from the come-up No hovering in place, take a walk real far Yo, I'm covering the space like a blanket in the stars As always, I'm your host Alex Thorne Head of Firmwide Research at Galaxy Digital Thank you for listening to Galaxy Brains We have a great show for you today As I said, Blake King from Galaxy's Bitcoin Mining team is our guest We're gonna get deep into Texas power markets How Bitcoin affects energy grids It is a very interesting conversation about electricity that I know you'll enjoy and learn a lot from. I certainly did. And of course, we'll check in with our good friend Bimnet, a BB from Galaxy Trading, as always, to talk markets. But before we get to all of that, I need to remind you to please refer to the link to the disclaimer in the podcast notes and note that none of the information in this podcast constitutes investment advice or an offer recommendation or solicitation by Galaxy Digital or any of its affiliates to buy or sell any securities. I love this episode. I think Bitcoin mining and electricity are extremely misunderstood. They're much more complicated uh, than the media will have you believe. And Blake is one of the world's foremost experts in the combination of the two. Uh, Let's get right into the show. Let's go now to our friend Bimnet, a BB from Galaxy Trading. As always, Bimnet, welcome to Galaxy Brands. Thanks for having me. So, um, it's some exciting stuff has happened. Um, just since our, we last talked, BTC mm-hmm. pretty much retraced the entirety of the grayscale pump yep. from last week, um, which you know I think a lot of people kind of expected. The ETF stuff was very anticipated and thus probably priced in in a lot of ways. Um, but we also just had another announcement uh, or headline from Kathy Wood and Ark and Twenty One Shares are filing for an ETH spot ETF. Correct. Just a few minutes ago, it's Wednesday, September sixth. Um, I don't know. Is that a big deal? Um, I mind? think it is pretty meaningful yeah. because uh, you know we've seen a bunch of ETF uh, like ETH futures ETF filings. Yeah. And the the logic of the grayscale versus SEC decision was was pretty clear. If you approve the futures product, there isn't much of a difference between futures and spot. Right. Uh, at least mathematically, there there they, is. And they said that they said there, mathematically. Mathematically, yeah. there is no difference. And so, um, if we're making the assumption that um, a, a ETH futures ETF is going to get approved, the next logical conclusion is a spot ETF. Um, mm-hmm. And much like um, our uh, guest from last week, Eric, uh, for, uh, J- from James Safer, yep. James Safer, sorry, yep. uh, you know, I, I agree. I'm a little shocked that there haven't been more filings for yeah. for spot ETFs, especially. And like, I do think it, it, it's more likely an inevitable type of situation because all these guys like they see each other and then it's yeah. w- one thing after there the other. There was that Bloomberg story, even at this point, a couple months ago that said that the SEC was poised to not block those futures ETFs. So I'm shocked that um, that these, the spot wasn't filed sooner, to your point. Yeah. They could have um, filed but, it right but then. But here's the other aspect of it. I mean, ETH is dramatically smaller yeah. than uh, Bitcoin, um, and there is much more institutional demand um, for Bitcoin as the story that resonates more w- w- with mm-hmm. folks. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I do think that some of the bigger players are just focused on Bitcoin. Just one because, foot in front of the other. Sort yeah, of well, one foot in front of the other. It's also like you want to want to have products that people want to trade, right? People want to trade the, the Bitcoin stuff. The demand for the ETH stuff is, is not in the same magnitude. Yeah. Um, not that it won't be. Sure. But at least at the moment when trying to do a cost analysis um you know i do think some Put of the bigger players yeah exactly. you gotta do education and get it out on wealth exactly. platforms yeah okay so let's let's talk about other stuff because one of the other macro stories i saw is that the dollar is just really on a on a pretty big crusade over the last couple months no absolutely really pumping up higher what is that what impact does that have like what does that mean um there's a lot of implications <laughs> yeah right well do i actually can we start with why why is no, the dollar oh, going up the dollar is going up because uh, more folks are believing in a, in a higher uh, for longer um, stance in terms of interest rates in the U.S. Um, in addition, it's it's literally like the best house on the worst street, right? Japan is stuck at negative interest rates. There's a property bubble um, that's bursting in China, mm-hmm. and they're actively easing, and they're cutting interest rates, right? 
uh, in places like the the UK, um, you're having a wage price spiral. The uh, in Europe, you've had softening of of, of data, material softening of of, of data manufacturing and mm-hmm. services, etc. Uh, versus here in the U.S., I mean, we just had an ISM services that just beat to the upside. We had uh, Powell's preferred measure of inflation, which is super core PCE, uh, surprise higher, you know, the week before. Um, and then most importantly, in terms of this last, you know, real leg in, in the dollar, um, I think it's a function of like energy prices, right? And we're seeing uh, crude top $88 a barrel, so Brent Sa- top $90 Saudis a are barrel. are like not cut, or they're no, going to no, cut no, more? No, no, they have cut. And they're they're, they're committed gonna, to... Yeah. to Keeping that supply uh, off the the market, at, you know, it comes out to like two million barrels per day, et cetera. But we're producing oil at like COVID levels mm-hmm. right now, and that's on purpose because you know they have a mon- quote unquote monopoly on uh, on on energy markets, and so. Uh, Okay, so that's some of why it's been happening. But what are some of the implications of a of a stronger dollar? I know there was some yeah, fears. So, well, yeah. So a stronger dollar uh, means that you know for any um, commodity importing nation that the commodity prices are, are a lot higher, right? So if you're importing a lot of oil, like oil price went up and the dollar. Uh, exchange rate went against you. And yep. so it's like doubly compounded. And so for nations that are generally consumers of, of commodities, it's pretty bad. Yeah. Uh, and, and so that that's a major implication. In addition, there's a lot of dollar-based debt. And so, you know, the higher the cost of that debt as a function of interest rates going up and your currency rate uh, going against you, yep. um, that, you know, fundamentally is going to lead to lower growth. In addition, right, like, over 50% of S&P earnings are abroad, right? And so you're going to see earnings take a hit just from the FX impact. Wow. So if you're in a world where, uh, you know, growth is slowing because of, you know, ch- things like in, in China, et cetera, yeah. and you are, you know, getting hurt on the FX side of things, I, mean, I think it's, it's pretty bad for stocks. Yeah, interesting. Uh, and, and I guess what, most things, too, that are, I mean, anything priced in the dollar essentially gets more expensive. Yeah, and absolutely. And so that, that also includes just assets of all types, right? It gets... Um, uh, so, yeah, I mean, dollar strength, you know, typically means those... Risk commodity- off. Risk off, yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there, there's a lot of implications, and the, the the question is like, can it continue? And um, absolutely, all of the structural forces are there. Like, as long as Japan is stuck in negative interest rates, their currency is going to get challenged. And so, you know, they're out there talking about currency intervention again, mm-hmm. right? China's actively trying to defend their their their, right. their currency too. Um, and so, it's got you know broad ranging implications but the beauty about the dollar right now is it's also it's just such a great safe haven play because you get paid to be long the thing it's it's positive carry to be long dollars right and it's a hedge versus for shit blowing up and so it's you know we've spoken about this before but yeah. it takes on these unique set of properties that become almost self-fulfilling right um and so that's kind of where you're at and you're testing major levels across you know, tons of different currencies. I mean, euro looks like it wants to break 107. I think 106.5 was the low on the year. We're talking about 147, 148 on dollar yen. You're thinking about 150 in currency intervention, like right now. Um, I think cable is, you know, an absolute sale here. I think it's like 126 and change. Like it's, you know, it's going to go go back down. Uh, but then in addition, you're also having, you know, some of the most popular like currency trades uh, in the world, which is long carry and these things like Max in Brazil, like those are starting to get unwound now too. And so there's like technical and things Weird that are structural. helping, yeah. yeah, helping the dollar. Uh, and on top of that, you have, you know, the Fed that seems like they're reasonably intellectually honest. And so when oil prices go higher, Right. That's going to lead to increased higher headline inflation and core because, you know, you can't strip out the energy impact. But to give you an idea, the um, Cleveland Fed uh, uh, now cast for August CPI is a 0.79 month on month. Wow. Right. Analyze that. That's, you know, you're talking about nine, 10 percent annualized That's on the August number. That's a that lot. That doesn't even have like the big spike. Well, it does have a reasonable spike in energy prices, but you're, you're going to get another one in Right, in more September. is coming, potentially. More is coming. And so if you're telling me the Fed is going to be looking at 0.79 inflation prints, like, and they're, 
thinking about ending hiking policy. Seems it's unlikely. Like, seems so unlikely. Yeah. In what world do would they have thought they hiked 500 plus basis points, 525 <laughs> in short order in a year? I was just going to engaged in QT. And we're a year later, and we're about to print a, a point eight month on month headline CPI number. You could make a reasonable case that they're they're like monetary conditions are not even remotely restrictive right now. Home prices are still holding up well. You've had moderate crack in the labor market, but like people are still spending money. Inflation's still high. Phineas was just telling me um, where he li lives in Brooklyn. There just there's more bunch of luxury stores opening up. People are spending money at all luxury stores all around them. Yeah, eventually I mean, that has to slow. I you mean, have to think so, right? Yeah, I mean, but at the end of the day, I mean, it's it. We just have to think back to the magnitude of money creation that I just happened. I guess that's it's just there's it's still like, so much out there. So much. Yeah. I mean, you printed trillions of dollars and you sent it directly to people. They it's literally not, mailed it, it to people. It literally oh. <laughs> mailed it to people. It's not like Did in certain see, mm -hmm. What's this thing? Did you see this thing about the um? You know, there was the program where you could get uh, a big uh, a funding from the feds if you didn't fire people. I forget the name of this program, but um, yeah, as an employer. Yeah. And like people are still, there's, an, a, I read a story in the journal a couple days ago about companies that have sprouted up to help, like consulting companies that have helped, helped sprout up to help employers still be claiming this money. And it's like th they've now claimed over 180 billion of this money. Yeah. More than double or something what Congress, exp like it's just, they're still, they're still pumping money. And they, they, are. they didn't no, even no, realize no. it. Like, I'll tell you. It's crazy. People are still doing this thing. No, people are still doing it. And like one of my strategists I talked to, there's still a, a, a reasonable amount of fiscal impulse left from all these programs and all that money that it's got right. spent over the next quarter. Right. Like, right. which is insane. They're still spending. Uh, but there's also a lot of fraud and abuse in those programs. Totally. And the Fed, I'm sorry, and the uh, Treasury and IRS yeah, and yeah, all yeah. those people, they're coming after it. For sure. Uh, but, but you're spot But in the meantime, on. it's out there uh, and it's getting out there still. Yeah. I mean, in the IRS stuff, there's def. Remember, there was the, um, what do they call it? Um, uh, PPE? Yeah, PPE loans. PPP program or whatever. Exactly. There was tons of fraud in that. I mean, yeah, we found I out. Mean, but, that's what these, but that money got out into the economy a lot yeah, of it, okay. right? So, well, here's the the big you know con concept here is that when you stimulate to people that have an insanely high propensity to spend, that money goes into the economy, right? And then that money has a multiplier, you know, versus you know when you give money to let's say folks with a lot lower propensity to spend, AKA rich people, right. uh, then that they money- put it in assets. They put it in assets yeah. and it's got much lower velocity. And so what we did is we did the most supercharged version of it. And we, and we gave, got inflation. We gave people checks in the mail to literally- Even all, better, they just dropped them right into your account. account in fact, yeah. you didn't even need to apply. Yeah. I yeah. think they used no, your, no, they used like your prior info. tax yeah, info. It just showed up. It's ridiculous. Uh, and so, like, yeah, like there are going to be unprecedented like consequences to that. And it wasn't just domestically that happened. But I right? agree. No, it was, every, everyone did that. Yeah. It's like, oh my God, in Europe, energy prices are real high. Don't worry, we'll print more money. We'll subsidize the cost. Don't worry about it. Like, they were saying there that, are yeah. consequences. Yeah. You make more money. The value of things relative to those dollars will will increase because you're just increasing the denominator. 100%, very simple. It's super very simple. Very simple supply and, and demand. And now I will yeah. tell you the most important thing we talk about today, I think, in this context, yeah. is fiscal dominance. I kid you not. I saw, you know, one or two central bankers getting interviewed about. Uh, you know, so Congress is going to, you know, have another, you know, huge deficit. Like, what are you I thinking heard it's about? Worse. Might get worse. What are you guys thinking? Is a shutdown possible? Right, right, right. Like, what are you guys thinking about the fiscal? And these central bankers stand up there and they're like, oh, we can't control fiscal policy. That is a, a policy of Congress. So our job is to react to it. But more and more, like the one thing I believe about. That's what you mean by fiscal dominance, that fiscal actually runs the sort of so the monetary. Especially when you have a constraint, uh, like. Like, yeah, I, the government spends so much money yeah. that at a certain point, if they were to spend that money and fund it in the open market, it would cause havoc. Yeah. And so the central bank has to, like, print money to buy that <laughs> at a certain point. And at a certain point, their decision making with respect to how they set interest rates. It's like their hands are tied. Their by the hands fiscal. are tied by the ability or the necessity to absorb 
uh, that that supply, not tied, but that that's a that's a impacted and, impacted and the more the, the more it but that, becomes, and that's the not more an official mandate uh, to accommodate <laughs> insane levels they literally of have to do mandate. it to control the Absolutely. situation but but the my issue is like they're so smart they can see how disjointed congress is they can predict deficit spending pretty well you know what don't predict it use the cbo's fucking estimates Sorry, like, oh, you want to claim that you don't want to, uh, you know, get involved in that? It's fine. Use the Congressional Budget Office and tell me how are you going to, like, respond to that? Three, four years of, you know, trillion-plus-dollar deficits, like, you're, still, you're not definitely going to be doing QT. Right, you mean look ahead, right? Don't look just ahead react. And, and, and tell us, like, where—, where the, but if, you, if they did, like, then that would cause bigger problems. Because we wouldn't like what we heard. We wouldn't like what we heard. But they're all so smart, and they can, they can do it's math incredible. about five years. Oh, my God. Uh, and so, but the, that's the predicament, like, all these people find themselves in. Uh, and the problem is once inflation's an issue, right, like, it's only going to get worse. They have to act on it. They and have to. So they, it, yeah, they got to. That's why it's so higher for longer. It's real, right? No cuts. Come, no cuts are coming anytime no soon, cuts. right? No cuts. You know, you got they're, short, they're, short rates. They're short basically stocks, off the table at this point. I mean, we talked about it two yeah, weeks yeah, ago. Yeah, we did. Yeah, short rates, like yeah. short stocks, like long dollar. Bimnet, um, uh, this is great. Um, Bimnet, Abibi, Galaxy Trading, my friend. Thank you so much. Let's go now to our guest, Blake King from Galaxy's Bitcoin Mining Team. Blake, welcome to Galaxy Brains. Hi, Alex. Happy to be here. I'm really happy to have Blake here. Uh, we've been wanting to get Blake on the pod for a while. Blake is a power engineer by trade and um, does a lot of work with Galaxy's Bitcoin mining operations, um, which are big electrical operations. That's are, right. So they use a lot of power, um, but they have a lot of electrical. I mean, if you've ever been to a Bitcoin mining site, like there's transformers and stuff on site. I mean, a lot. It, they are massive electrical infrastructure. Um how did you get into Bitcoin mining specifically? Because you you came well to give us a little bit of your background, right? Because you you come from power. Yes, that's right. So I'm I'm the result of Bitcoin miners like moving more and more into the power and utility space. So I originally, like you said, I studied electrical engineering with an emphasis in power, and then I moved into like the traditional role as a power engineer working at ERCOT, which is a system operator for right. the Texas grid. Worked there for a couple of years, and then I moved on to a national lab doing power system stuff as well. And then all the time being like a, a Bitcoin fan, you know, I kind of moved into it. Yeah. Got introduced to it, you know, bought a little bit, kind of slowly rolled into like, oh, this this Bitcoin thing is really interesting. And this mining thing is really interesting, too. And I worked at ERCOT in kind of like the system planning role. And I remember talking to other planners and operations folks about the wind curtailment, right, which is a you know, this huge story about how, oh, we have to curtail these wind generators and, like, they're not producing what they were. And I was like, what happens when we curtail their operations? Like, do we do we pay them for that? And yeah. they're like, of course we don't pay them for that. Well, do That's they just... turn off the wind turbines? Mm -hmm. So they stop moving? They stop moving. Yeah, we can get into that, but it's, yeah. it's like, you know... And, and they, and and they didn't pay them. Sorry, I didn't want to cut yeah, you off. Yeah, you know, that's right. You don't pay them. So it's you know because ERCOT is a market, right? And it's an energy only market, which means you get you get paid for energy you deliver. So when the grid operator orders the wind turbines to turn down or the solar solar panels to turn down, there's lost revenue there. And I remember saying like, well, why don't we do something with the Bitcoin mining? You know, it's a location agnostic, and that's kind of really where I started on the mining kind of part of my career was I started thinking like. Oh, we should co-locate these Bitcoin mines with these wind farms. You know, like they're losing. They're out all in the middle of nowhere. They can't deliver the power, right? There was maybe not they sufficient can't transmission. That's right. You got to go where the wind is, and that's usually where people are not. So there's <laughs> a lot of there's a lot of transmission that has yeah. to take place. Those lines get congested, and you know it's not all the time that the lines get congested, but it is it is sometimes, and that's lost revenue. And so I, I just couldn't believe. I remember I couldn't believe that they didn't get any revenue, it's just lost revenue for them. So that's that's really where I started. And then I worked for a solar developer, which is basically, you know, a shop that goes out, finds land, uh, builds a solar, like I say build a solar farm, but it's more like bundles up all of the contracts that you would need to start building a solar farm mm -hmm. and then sell that to somebody else who then actually builds the facility. So then I got kind of exposure on the business development and technical side of like building generation and then after that, you know, Austin Storms and I, after years of communicating via Twitter, he joined Galaxy and was like, hey, we need a, we need a power engineer. 
because um, we're developing sites in ERCOT. And so Very cool. that's so, kind of how I made it here. Yeah, so we have sites in the Texas market. And what is it about Texas in general that's very you know positive for Bitcoin miners? There seem to be a lot down there. Yeah, what was it? The Cambridge Institute is like 15% of Bitcoin mining is going on in ERCOT right now. Yeah. So so the big thing, and you know, they kind of bury the, bury the lead or bury the letter, whatever it's called, in ERCOT, which is the big thing about ERCOT that's good is the spot market, right? There is a spot market for electricity where electricity is valued in real time and the price changes basically every five minutes right that is that is unique to most electricity markets in the world and it's unique to other vertical markets where there is no spot market for electricity it's just you get whatever rate you get right so in ERCOT you can you know let's say you were only profitable if the price of power was negative there's places in ERCOT where you could run 30% of the time because mm-hmm. the price of power is negative for 30%. Like it's it's a really interesting spot market, especially for Bitcoin miners who are looking for that low cost of that low marginal price of power. And there's also like a pretty liquid derivatives market in ERCOT as well. You know, I'm like it's not as liquid as traditional commodities or equities, but you know, you can basically buy and sell power pretty long term, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and so you can hedge, shows. you can you can find. So is the is that that market, that spot market is does that result in a lot of competition? I mean, is that what we get now? We get a lot of energy production in Texas now competing for with each other. We're talking about generation. Yeah. Yeah. On the generation oh, yeah. side, it, does it result in a lot of electricity production, I guess, is my question. Yes. It seems like it would. And that it would well, be that's the goal good right? for consumers would be the idea because it's so competitive. Whereas, you know, if I'm in, I'm not going to dox any particular place or grid, but like if I'm in some other place where it's like, no, you just buy, you just buy electricity from Duke Energy Progress. So I've doxed a region here by saying that, but (laughs) right, like I don't have any other choice. There's nowhere else to buy at all. That's that's, right. And if your mining revenue goes below whatever tariff that Duke can offer you, you know, you just you're out of luck. Yeah, Yeah. you just turn off. And there's no, there's no way for you to necessarily hedge hedge that. Right. That's right. And that's, so that's why people come to ERCOT is because, you know, as a producer who can turn off and turn on and be exposed to the spot market, it's it's really interesting for you on like a 10-year timeline, 15-year timeline as you're developing assets to see. Right. Okay. And and as you said, with the competition on assets, a lot of this is driven, and if people look at ERCOT over the past 10 to 15 years, there's been an explosion in wind specifically and renewables more generally. Like wind is the massive winner in ERCOT, and that's because of the wind production tax credit that's offered like a federal incentive, right? Wow. So basically- And they have a lot of wind, I guess, as well. There's also a ton of wind. I don't want the the plains, the- That's right. Okay, so going going back a little bit. So ERCOT (laughs) in like the late aughts instituted something called uh, the Competitive Renewable Energy Zone Project, CREZ is what it's called. And in CREZ, what ERCOT did is they went out and they proactively built a big transmission loop through the the windiest area of the state, which is like up to the left of the panhandle. Mm-hmm. And basically, because there's always been this chicken and an egg problem with transmission and generation, you know, back in the day, you used to be able to say, oh, they're building a coal plant. It's going to take them eight years, so we have time to build the transmission to them. Mm-hmm. Well, you can stand up a wind or a solar farm much quicker than that. And so yeah. they were like, okay, well, how do we incent all of these producers to come and take part in all this wind energy out here? Let's proactively build this transmission loop. Smart. So ERCOT built it, yeah. and they came. Yeah. They all came. Like yeah. So they all came. They all developed all these sites out in West Texas. And it produced a, a ton of wind. Like ERCOT is Texas is like the leader of wind energy. Yeah, I, in the I, I heard it's the leader. Maybe even in the world, if you if you yeah. looked at it, a country, it's the biggest in wind. Yeah, yeah, makes sense. And and so, but the wind has like an interesting, uh, you know, I mean, I would call it a problem. Other people would just say it's a characteristic of it, which is that, you know, they have pretty like parallel profiles, or I can't remember the specific word, but it's all producing at the same time, and then it's all not producing at the same right. time, right? Like there's one wind profile for that area. Right. And so what you get is a bottleneck in transmission where it's all trying to get out at the same time. And then whenever it's not blowing, the transmission lines aren't being used like at all, right? It's kind of a profile issue. And so this is really where the interesting use case of Bitcoin mining has come in, which is like there's area, there's times when there's so much supply that the price is actually extremely low, right? Like that's how you get the price of $0 or negative is that you're actually forcing the wind to turn off or else you're gonna 
you know, overheat the transmission line. That's what price is negative. So then you had like this crazy supply that was mainly driven by that production tax credit that I referenced. And now there's a bunch of Bitcoin miners coming in to kind of like soak that up, if you will. So they right? can sit next to the wind generation, perhaps, and e either buy off the grid or take directly from the wind. That's like, right. If needed, right? If, especially in a time when there isn't enough takeaway capacity for the wind. So they just give it right to the miner. Yeah, that's so. the put. Yeah. That's what that's one of the business models that's really out there that I've seen um, from all of these co-locations. And you say you call it a co-location when it's a, a Bitcoin miner and a wind farm and they share like a common meter, right? Yep. So the ERCOT market doesn't see they don't really the exist. Netting. Exactly. Yeah, they, they, as far as ERCOT's concerned, they're they're behind the meter, quote unquote, right? So it's like right. you co-locate with the energy generation. So this could be, by the way, I mean, I don't want to. I, I want to talk about it, so we'll talk about it now. But let's not forget. I want to. I've got more ERCOT related to sure. Texas stuff to ask. But in general, is that a very? Is that how you see a lot of maybe not all, but a lot of Bitcoin mining going in the future? That electrical electricity producers, either at themselves or in a partnership, will mine right behind the the meter, like that. There'll be a a place for them to offload some of their electricity in in house basically yeah i think so i think it really matters on how the deal is structured right so it, i kind of you know i'm working on my analogy here but the way that i kind of see it is it's similar to like gas wars if you remember gas stations used to have these wars where they'd go cheaper and cheaper and cheaper but as a as a gas station you could never really offer gas like lower than your cost, right? Like that wouldn't really make sense. Like maybe to win market right. share, but not. But if you take a wind or a solar farm, right, they might have a, you know, a cost to get simple payback of like 30 or $40, which is like three or four cents a kilowatt hour, mm -hmm. right? But because of how they offer into the market, they're willing to take a dollar over zero, right? So their marginal cost is zero. So they're willing to sell at a dollar but a dollar would never really get them simple payback. That'd be a loss for their investors, right? right? So what you see whenever a wind or a solar farm wants to enter into some of these deals, right? Well, they're not really gonna offer you any power less than their simple payback, right? Like why would they do that? Right. Like they they want they want simple payback for their investors. So that price, that sticker price is a little higher than say if you were just offering what they're offering the grid right because they're they're bidding into the market at zero because mm -hmm. they'd, they'd rather take a dollar but if you want to sign them up on a long forward contract now all of a sudden it's 30 or 40 bucks so i think it really matters and there are structures out there to kind of solve this but they're kind of complicated and no one's no one's really shaken it out to where i've seen there's enough good upside for both partners i mean there are some deals that are are pretty good i think I think the answer is if it's structured right, you're going to see a lot more models like this. But but as it stands, it's kind of complicated to get through. And so is uh, – go back to the win for a minute too because I, there's yeah. one thing a lot of people have said is that Bitcoin mining can help incentivize the, the build-out of renewable energy generation. Got it. Um, clearly, the tax credits and ERCOT building the loop, the transmission loop, that incentivized the build-out. For sure. Um, does you know Bitcoin mining – also provide some extra incentive? Is there a, a wind farm that isn't on the loop that wouldn't otherwise be built but for you know, a takeaway entity like a Bitcoin mine? Yeah, I, I put that tagline of, of Bitcoin incentivizing. Like I, I've got basically a pile of taglines that people that claim yeah, yeah. that I look at and I'm like, oh, there should be an asterisk. Like that, <laughs> that's so much more complicated and that's going yeah. to frustrate a lot of people when they say that. I, I think the answer is ultimately... Yes, but it, it's yes insofar as like any demand would incentivize right. a re, right like any extra demand would incentivize a renewable project. Like whenever I would do development on the renewable side, right, you'd you'd find a couple shortlist places on the grid that you were thinking about developing a site, and you'd run a model to see what the future pricing is, right. And if we had more than you know a certain percent of curtailment. We would just kill the project, right? Right, just kill it. Like, or if pricing was just like a little bit lower, we'd kill the project. So, of course, if you're going to add demand, it makes sense that that would incentivize right. generation, right? The interesting thing about Bitcoin mining, and I think is is one that, as as the power system continues to advance, we're going to see the benefits more and more of is the flexibility of their operation, right? And I think Harry had a good a good tagline on yeah, the episode that yeah. The episode that you all had yeah. was the last Couple month or something ago, yeah. like that, which is, which is that the Bitcoin mine doesn't become a burden. Like it provides the demand, 
but then it doesn't become a burden. That's because you're so sensitive to the price, right? Like if you're a Bitcoin miner that can just soak up all of what renewables consider the low value hours, right? But then the Bitcoin mine also turns off whenever the grid is like, like a scarcity event, then it starts to become a more interesting conversation of like, oh, it really is a buyer of electricity yeah. when no one else it's wants it. It's like a buyer it. of last resort. Yeah. It, that's exactly right. But and, and it's easy to say that, you know, but whenever you're at these workshops and task forces and you actually see how the grid operates, you know, like saying that Bitcoin mine is, an, is a buyer of last resort, and then, you know, seeing their operation where it's like sometimes they're on, sometimes they're off, you know, there's delayed operation. It's like it's not a perfect consumer yet. Like, I think right. we're going to get to a point where it becomes one. But just saying that it, it does a good job now, I think, would be doing it an injustice. So. Yeah. It, it's like um, if you have part of it is that you can turn on and off like immediately. Right. I think with pretty you know, much with basically minimum. Yeah. Like in a couple of minutes. And with, I would say, I mean, theoretically, I guess, I don't know, turning my computer on and off over and over again probably has some effect over time, but <laughs> with mostly no technological effect on the on the mining machines themselves probably, right, to turn on and off. Um, but it consumes so much electricity, right, that you're like a, an aluminum smelting plant, and you can't turn that off because then the, the aluminum hardens in the pots and right. breaks the whole plant, right? So it's like it takes weeks to turn that thing off. Yeah. Um, so it's that we is that is that when you say the flexibility is that that's what you're talking about? The that's exactly what I'm talking about, and it's the, yeah. I mean, you said instantly. It is pretty much instant, yeah. you know. And there's been there's a ERCOT task force right now. It's called the Large Flexible Load Task Force that is kind of meant to address some of these issues, right? So what we what we basically saw over the past year and a half is, you know, the China ban whenever that occurred, and then all of a sudden there was this influx of miners into ERCOT, right? And so they all requested capacity, basically, and, and certain transmission op operators agreed. And then ERCOT took a step back after like a year and said, you know, there's 30 gigawatts of Bitcoin mining that is supposedly coming online, right? Like right. ERCOT has a peak demand of 80 gigawatts. So we're saying, okay, half the Texas grid, increase, like, yeah. you know, like, number one, like, is that real? Like, is that is that real? Let's investigate. Let's investigate if it's real. And if it is, like, let's say even 10% of that comes on. Right. Like this isn't like turning your computer off. This is like a third of the power going away all at the same time. Like right. we can't do that. That's not how grids operate. You right, know, right, grids right. don't operate with demand that can come off and on so quickly. We kind of really have to do this. And what you've what you've seen at ERCOT specifically is they've started to impose these ramp rate limitations or they haven't started to impose them. They've uh, they're discussing they're it. They're discussing it, yeah. right? They're discussing these ramp rate limitations, which is to say, you as a Bitcoin miner can't turn off your entire load all at once. Got to go you, a little smoother. Exactly, you got to go smoother, right? And there's there's rationale for why they need to do this, right? Like ERCOT's been operating the grid a certain way. They have to manage that deviation in frequency a certain way, and some of those costs are borne by the entire grid, right? You can't exactly like impose the cost of a miner dipping off directly on the miner, you have to kind of socialize it. And so so I think that's the direction we're going where the miners are getting so so big and having such a large impact, they're going to be treated more and more like generation used to be or is treated, right? right. More limits, more size limits, more operational limits, things like that. Interesting. So and then let, maybe some of the mechanics we talk about for, from the Bitcoin mining side, we talk about how um, we got potentially cheap energy, lots of wind. There's lots of energy in general in Texas, right? We're not probably really going to go into it, but there's oil and gas in Texas, yep, his totally. famously. Um, some Bitcoin miners do the flare gas mining thing, which is kind of like a behind the meter. Yeah, totally. Um, it is. But how then are Bitcoin miners structuring their operations? You've got a data center. You've got machines in the data center. You're connected to what? The grid directly, maybe also a uh, an electrical producer if you're behind the meter like we talked about but then what are you actually doing are you are you locking in a long-term power rate with your uh, generator um, or with the grid and then what are you doing when you then curtail when you do ramp up or ramp down like wh what's actually happening you said the wind producers were not getting paid for that we read in the news that bitcoin miners are getting paid for this <laughs> curtailment yep. what's happening there sure well, it really depends on the structure, right? So let's say, let's just take the the prototypical ERCOT structure where you're not co-located with any generator. You're just on the grid. You're in one of the deregulated areas because ERCOT also has like vertically integrated areas. So just kind of got to, okay, you're in, a, you're in a competitive zone yep. and you want to be a Bitcoin miner. Well, the normal structure, like kind of the base, 
right, is you find what's called a retail electricity provider, a rep. These are people that are like ordained by the Utility Commission of Texas to sell you power. You know, they're like yeah. hand over heart. I know what I'm doing. They I have can manage a, risk. They have you a, know, a power uh, generation facility, whether it's well, coal they or, can. Well, that's it. So, yeah, okay. so yeah, we're gonna get into it. They there's some of those that own both. Yeah, those are called gen tailors instead oh. of retailer. They're oh. gen tailor. They have a certain uh, interesting kind of like market power dynamic in ERCOT. But but uh, it doesn't. Okay. You don't Back have to, to necessarily. Retailer, you don't have to necessarily. So they sell it to you, but they don't produce it necessarily. So. So here's 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 how it happens, right? They can sell you power short. They can give they can sell you fixed power. Yep. And they just wear the floating risk. It's a fixed for floating swap. If they sell you fixed power. Yep. What they can also do is just pass you through the floating rate. Right? So like they they wear your risk on the floating rate. Yep. And then they charge you for it after the fact, kind of like receivables cuz yep. ERCOT bills them every day. I see. Right? So then once you have this kind of floating rate, then you can layer on hedges on top of it. So then it's like, okay, my mining is producing about $100 a megawatt hour. The current forwards for power where I'm at over the next year, I could lock in a rate of like you know, $70 or $60. Do I, I want to do that? I do I want to do that? And then but purely through derivatives, not through a fixed agreement with the provider. Yeah, purely through example. purely. Yeah, so this you can take be, the floating exposure to the just the whatever the spot price of electricity is, but you can obviously lock in a certain yeah, price based yeah. on how you hedge. Yeah, the best way to understand is that's the base agreement. Yeah. The base agreement is you're exposed to the the floating exposure. Then you can layer on a hedge or a swap. It really depends because the the retail electricity provider they sell you power. Right. Right. But they have a they turn around and they can lock in a swap of the exact same size and shape and yep. price and then like sleeve it to you, right? Yep. So that's basically how you do it. And then you take title to the electricity because the it's not like a normal utility bill where they just bill you the fixed price as you consume it, right? You are now buying title to the electricity at that price. I see. So you're either consuming it or you're selling it into the spot market. You know, that's the, kind of the best way to think about it. So when power is... When the spot price of power is ten dollars, so you just you have it, you have it you to have either it. use or sell back. That's right. And is that so? Then curtailing, which means not consuming. Yeah. But we still have these power units, so we can give them back to the grid. That's right. That's the idea. It's like a firm. Yeah. It's a it's a firm take or pay. What is contract. the is that what uh what is this term the fixed PPA? What is that? Is no, that this, it's is a that terrible term. It's a terrible term. Yeah, the <laughs> fixed the fixed price. Yeah, there's so many different terms and so much different jargon. You kind of have to code switch wherever you're talking. Like a, a PPA. So in my world, yeah, a PPA is a long term agreement with a generator directly. Yeah, right. Like generators sell PPAs. We're a, 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 a natural gas electricity. Uh, generator or a coal, whatever we are, yep. nuclear even. Yep. We might go out of business. There is not enough people buying our stuff. Oh, great! Someone is going to agree to either build a factory or a car factory or a manu some manufacturing or a, or a Bitcoin miner or a wholesaler, right? Or somebody or, else or has some other use for it. That's right. And they'll say, you know what? We will buy. We'll guarantee. We'll agree to buy right. this much electricity from you over a period of time if you lock in a specific rate, and That's then right. you negotiate that rate. Yep. Right. That's and the then, PPA directly. With and then, the, yeah. Yes. And then those are semi liquid. Like those are liquid as well. So oh, it's okay. not it's not necessarily like I'm going to buy power 15 years out. That That's the case for renewables. Right. Because a lot of time for the renewables to even get developed, they have to sell their power forward. first. Right. That's the only way the right. banks will finance them. But if but if you're a generator, right, like when all this competition came out, like basically power trading shops would kind of take over control of the generating asset, like the natural gas or the yeah. coal plant. And they would basically enter into these swaps and do do you know, daily balancing of their risk. Right. Like how much are we selling forward? How much spot exposure are we taking? Do we take some risk off the table? And again, this is kind of the direction where you're going with the Bitcoin miners, right? right. Like how are the forwards trading for off peak, on peak? Like, okay, let's take some risk off here. Let's like sell the hedge that we bought you know, for you right. know, November or December or whatever. I mean, you literally trade them like financial contracts and you right. also use them to hedge your actual thing, but you could speculate that's right. on them. Well, that's what helps, right? right. It, it helps that I've got a mining asset that can cover the cost of my hedge, right? right. So it makes it makes longing the market less risky, right? right? Makes you know, sense. You're no longer like a power trader where you're just going long or short. You've actually got an asset that but can handle that. Most of the big mining operations in ERCOT, then they're not these PPA agreements with 
producers, they're more like what you're talking about, buying from a retailer and then using the financialized, deregulated market, the, the financial markets, to hedge and, and lock in your prices and, and, and trade those. That's right, because you're taking the risk, right? Like if you're a Bitcoin miner and you're only making 100 to $150 a megawatt hour, but if you curtail, you can theoretically sell this power for 4,000 or 5,000. Why would you not do that, right. right? Like there's there's no reason, like it would take a really strong financial incentive for you, like maybe your host contract has an uptime SLA or something. You have to stay on. You have whatever. to stay on. And and theoretically, this is what the, the market wants to incentivize, right? Like there's no reason for this Bitcoin miner to be online if they don't want to of be. Course. This is the right. price signal that you want. And right. this, is, this is where I kind of get frustrated when these people are like, oh, you can you know, you can make more money not mining Bitcoin. And it's like, well, yeah, that's what you want. Like you you don't want these miners to stay online during scarcity events. And the miner is also the one taking the risk, right? Like they didn't force someone to sell them power. Like right. someone was trying to sell them right. power and they did it. And so, it makes sense too, because it's obviously, I mean, a lot of these miners are publicly traded or, or, or even if they're not, they have shareholders. Why would they, they like, you know, screw why their would shareholders you wear that by- risk? Yeah, by and by by you know mining unprofitably. That no business would operate if yeah. they were unprofitable. That's yeah. and then also like um, that's the the interesting thing about this ERCOT market is that it, like you said, it, the market is telling you it's naturally incentivizing what it wants. And when it when when others need the electricity a lot worse than you, you should shut off. You should shut off. Right. It's not, that's exactly. It's it's a functioning market. You know, and that's why right. I think it's it's. It's like a marketing problem of how people are like, oh, yeah. we made this much money curtailing. And Matt, it's like, Matt Levine ah, had just, a blog, you know, remember, a, a couple weeks ago that was like, they're making more money sell, not mining than mining. Like, haha, isn't it, that stupid? And it's <laughs> that's like, right. that's, you're saying that's normal. That's how it should be. That's how it should be. Yeah. yeah. And it's and that's for any consumer of electricity. Yeah. Right. Well, of electricity. But theoretically, even my house, if it gets if electricity gets super expensive, like, what should I do? I should turn off my lights. Right. Like, I mean, this is a whole this is a whole conversation in like really niche power system <laughs> economics of like, oh, we should expose more people to the real-time price. And they actually had this in ERCOT. It was a company called Gritty. Yeah. I don't know if you've ever heard no. of this, but Gritty back before Winter Storm Yuri actually passed like retail residential customers the spot price of electricity. Rather than, it, yeah. Rather, right. rather than a fixed rate contract, is, is it, which is usually what they get sold. Right. Because right? regular people on their face like don't want to be like, oh my God, it's too volatile, my, I can't run. Sorry. But is the idea that like it would be a more efficient market, it would also make people pay the actual cost That's, of it? And, it would, and thus it would incentivize, you know, not running, you know, 85 lights at night. It would no. incentivize not- or running your dishwasher at right. 7 p.m. It would be car. buying, yeah. it would be, yeah, run it overnight instead of, you know, during the peak hour or, um, you know, buy more efficient light bulbs. Like it could actually help for, you know, the environmental like lobby yeah. theoretically could be for it. Because well, well it, here's the tagline. Gritty went bankrupt. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Gritty went bankrupt in Winter Storm Yuri because they were unhedged. And in, in the winter storm, when ERCOT experienced those blackouts, the ERCOT actually pegged, and I think it was the, the PUC, they pegged the price of the market at the cap. Right. Like, so ERCOT has an artificial price cap. Just like saying, just like, can't you know, go over this. Stop price. the bleeding, right? Like, stop the bleeding. Yeah, this yeah. is the cap. It's they, like a like they, a circuit breaker. They have a way to calculate this, right? It's like the value of loss load multiplied by the probability of lo of losing the load. Anyways, they they set it to the cap, and so the price of power was like nine thousand dollars for, you know, just days, incredibly expensive like days. Yeah. So so gritty, who has to pay these invoices every day. Right, was like, oh man, I can't like these receivable risks well, on my customers at nine thousand dollars. They're turning off. I'm not getting any money from them, right? Yeah, or or the customers are turning off, but they still have some like they have something. I mean, it's cold, right? They're running their heaters. So they've and, got to deliver the power. Yeah, and this is how most retailers, retail electric electricity providers in ERCOT do go bankrupt. Is they're they're short, right? They're they're they haven't bought enough long for whenever these high price spikes happen. And yep. so they go bankrupt. And that's that's a tale as old as time. <laughs> um, it's it's such a fascinating market. It's so different than than other markets in the U.S. Are, are there any other markets that are like this at all? Oh, that yeah. have do, where where are they? I PJM, mean, New York. Yeah. So I mean, there's oh, so there's, this is so the so the Pacific Northwest. Is that PJM? Uh, no, PJM is Pennsylvania, New oh, okay. Jersey, Mass. But then North Northern New York, right? Is that what you're saying? New York saying? ISO. Yep. So I don't have the footprints memorized. You'll have to forgive but, me. And then there's MISO. 
which is mid interconnect. Like they, so they all have kind of have markets, markets right? where you can do stuff. It's not all. They're all extremely different. Yeah. Like, you know, like I'm an, I'm an ERCOT guy. Yeah, you yeah. know, like it's very hard to find someone that's an ERCOT guy and a PJM. Wow. Guy. They're that like, different. It's in, it's incredible. Like wow. it's so nuanced and usually people spend their entire careers spanning like one or two of these markets. So like, well, every Bitcoin miner that's obviously in a place like this, and it's different if you could be anywhere. You, I was talking about the kingdom of Bhutan is mm -hmm. mining Bitcoin. They have a ton of hydro. I think they control the, I don't know if the, the electricity generation on that hydro is nationalized there or whatever, but like they are probably, it's behind the meter there, right? It's not yep. this type of mining. But if you're in any one of these markets, like what percentage of your staff is straight up like energy traders at this point? Oh, it can't be much. But, mean, but, but everyone's got to have some. Yeah, everyone has to have a certain people that know about the power strategy and kind of mesh it with the business model, yeah. right? Like, so you mentioned the hydro, right? Yeah. There, there is an opportunity cost to unused hydro. Like, what is that opportunity cost? You know, right. is it, would they want to sign a long-term agreement for a dollar? Or is it tied to some sort of simple payback expectation of the hydro, right? Okay, well, now you have Bitcoin price risk. You know, what happens if the Bitcoin price tanks and now you can no longer afford that contract? Like a long-term contract, right. Yeah, so there's, there's all sorts of business models. And I really don't think this is shaken out. I think we're still at a point where the Bitcoin mining revenue can support many different business models. You've, you've got people still mining in vertical utilities with fixed rate tariffs. Like yep. I, it's my hypothesis that those are going to be the first to go, right? Like there's there's just not really going to be a vertical utility that can offer you a fixed rate tariff. They can't offer long term. You may not be able to guarantee you can buy long term. There's no good way to hedge. Yeah. So how long do you build an asset? Like, do you yeah. underwrite a substation for something that you don't know what the whim of the public utility tariff is going to be in three years or five years you know like this that's, is why that texas the with the uh floating rate that you then hedge is you can brilliant. always you can always just take spot rate exposure right, right? and then like i said there's 30 percent of the time that west texas the power is negative buy it trade it speculate on it use it sell it back right or use it or, or use it or yeah. mine bitcoin with yeah it. or use it and if the economics make sense yeah it's much more flexible that's exactly I understand right. that um do you think uh like what about nuclear nuclear is an incredibly dense so uranium is an incredibly, I forget the exact term, incredibly like dense electrical source, source of electricity, yes. right? Like the tiniest little amount of uranium can produce like, you know, orders of magnitude more electricity than the same amount of like wood, which is an incredibly not dense. Yeah. And the waste as well. It's extremely dense. Yes. Like people, people always, that's always the first thing that people say like, oh, the nuclear waste. But yeah, then yeah. you actually find like how much nuclear waste is generated. It's, and it's really small. Yeah. Like it's, it's also, they figured amount. this out too, where there's a lot of nimbyism about like, or they wanted to build the nuclear waste facility like under the mountain in Utah or whatever. Um, and then, like, people are like, oh, we don't want the, like, nuke waste there. Like, isn't it, like, radioactive, right? And it's like, that's actually been solved, to be clear. Like, there's um, a, a, a great um, uranium influencer, Isodope, who uh, she's gone and hugged. <laughs> she's gone and hugged them. Oh, like, they're, they're totally, that. like, not dangerous. But um, do you think, like, I mean, doesn't nuclear seem like the it's green? Its only emission is, like, water vapor. Right. Like, yep. doesn't it see it produces enormous amounts of electricity? Yep. But we have neglected our nuclear regulatory infrastructure and and we don't have any new nuclear plants do you think oh uh, that's the volte plant i think volte just came online which so that's the only say, one you, right there's bitcoin, only one <laughs> bitcoin miners uh are they going to mine behind the meter on nuclear is that going to incentivize a nuclear energy generation revolution what do you think oh goodness <laughs> that that's a tall order you know i will say my stance on nuclear is probably pretty common in the in the bitcoin industry which is that you know, nuclear as like a base generator makes a lot of sense, right? Like it wants high uptime, right? It can't really ramp up or down that well. So it needs to be on all the time. And which is good for the grid, which right? is which is great for the grid. Yeah. Right. So that it's got all the normal, the normal, like good attributes of a base generator that I would see. Now, my issues with it are kind of practical, which I've, I've heard talked about on your podcast, which is that the, the red tape associated with developing a nuclear plant is is crazy. I think right? it's, like like, un, it's practically untenable. It's insanely expensive yeah. as well. And th that's, you know, part of it. So whenever people ask me, you know, like, is it going to, is there going to be a revolution? Like my quick answer is, you know, not in the next not with a 10 major years. Regulatory yeah. <laughs> change. Not, yeah. not without some sort of, you know, huge change, not and especially with all the solar and wind that's coming on online, right? Like, you know, there's so much solar and wind that's already being incentivized to come online that causes those weird price floor scenarios, right? So it's going to come to a, a point where it's like, would you would you rather do a front of meter on-grid site where you're just soaking up that negatively priced energy, 
or sign a 10-year PPA with a nuke facility for you know, 25, 30 bucks. Right. You know, it, it comes down to that scenario. Like, what is Bitcoin's place? Is it is it just soaking up all the mispriced, you know, energy or being this co-located buyer of last resort, which the nukes are now also getting production tax credits as well. That was kind of part of the, the IRA was oh, nice. nukes are now going to be incentivized as well on the same kind of floor. It's not, I can't remember the sticker price top of my head. That's positive, though. It's, they're coming. Yeah, yeah it just t- seems to me like even with wind and solar, there's significant e-waste in particular. Oh, yeah. And I've even heard stories, maybe oh, yeah. you know about this from your time in solar, too, but there was a there was a story like recently in like a in like online, like a headline a couple weeks ago or something. They called them streakers or streamers. I can't remember, but it was that birds will fly over the solar farms and just basically vaporize yeah. because it's reflecting <laughs> so much heat, like the air above the solar farm gets so hot. Um, but also, it's like, is it is all the all the grass under the the, the oh, panels yeah. is dead, right? It's dead, right? And and the wind. I don't know if you've seen the piles of the old turbines. Yeah. Like, I mean, it's it's as bad as like, um, you know, the piles of old cars and all the other yeah. e- waste that we have. Like, whereas a nuclear plant has none of that. Like, yeah. is that anyway? It's, certainly, I, it's a little bit of a tangent here, but no, it's certainly an externality and one that gets kind of brushed over whenever people. I think so. You know, it is. I agree with you. I don't really have that too strong of a stance on on renewables, you know, when it comes to climate change and, and things like that. I think I hold I hold two things that are seemingly kind of true at the same time. One, I don't see how humanity can not have an impact on the climate. Like right. with the with the amount of gas that we're pouring into the atmosphere, Tons it just see, it just seems intuitive to me that we would have some impact, right? Like I don't know what that is, right? But something. And then on the other on the other side, I see these reports of like very precise measurements of like, you know, the the globe is like 0.1 degree hotter. And I just think that like, there's no way that we can get that accurate of a measurement of such a complex ecosystem. And I hold those two things, yeah. those kind of battle in my head. And I've, I've gone back and forth on Twitter with some people about this, where they've tried, they've tried to get me over the edge with like, you know, on these precise another. reports that describe how they did the methodology. And I'm like, I'm sorry, I, I don't know. I just can't. I just well, can't a, get there. Uh, F. Scott Fitzgerald said the test of a true first-rate intelligence is the ability to simultaneously hold two contradicting <laughs> ideas. Oh, is that right? Mind. So um, <laughs> that doesn't surprise me. That I, I, I think I feel similarly. I mean, I think there's plenty of anecdotal evidence. Um, but anyway, uh, and, and also then some. There's stuff like about you know, ten thousand year solar cycles and stuff like that that can affect temperature too. But um, yeah, I do think that e-waste question is overlooked for renewables and for solar and. Um, and wind, it can be pretty bad. Um, but they also create energy in a totally renewable way, right? Which yeah. is very positive. No marginal emissions. Yeah, right. and, and the the impact on the electricity system is astonishing too. Like people people don't really understand, but there's a full throttle like reworking of how power markets work with all this solar and wind. You know, like if you if you go back even a few years, the riskiest you know, moment on the grid was the time of peak demand, right? Which it was like 5 p.m., you know, there's so much load on the system, there's just not enough generation to meet that. You know, yep. like that's the risk. Whereas now the riskiest interval on the system is really like when the solar is ramping down and the wind hasn't ramped up yet, or, or you know, it's all bespoke it's like to like which stuff, grid. Though, yeah. It's really based on the forecast of wind and, and the wind, sun and, sun, and, yeah. and the load, because you know, now you've got all these forecasts going on. And it's like, yeah, we can handle the peak of the day, no problem, because we got all this solar pumping through. And you know, this this has tons of impact on how the operator, like how the people that operate the grid actually do it. You know, yeah. how much capacity do they need to procure in order to right, right, meet right. that? So. Yeah, it's wild because the grid is alternating current power. It has to stay on all the time, right? There's constant matching, constant, yeah. right? Yeah. And, and whereas wind and solar are intermittent. <laughs> That's right. So it's all forecasting, right? right. Like there's. Uh, there's folks, you know, at ERCOT or PJM or whomever, like, like there's entire teams of people dedicated to tomorrow's forecast. Like tomorrow's tomorrow's load forecast, tomorrow's solar forecast, tomorrow's wind forecast, tomorrow's because you got to imagine there's a thousand different generating units, right? They're each submitting different plans. We're going to be online. We're going to be offline. We've got maintenance. We've got forced maintenance. We've got an outage. Like and wow. then there's transmission line. And so there's a whole team of people working on tomorrow. There's a whole team of people working on next week. 
You know, and then you've got in the control room, there's people working on the next hour. Right, right, right. Now, and yeah. it's just, it all comes down to managing frequency. Of it's like, incredible. In that moment, we got to keep frequency between, you know, 60.0 really or whatever incredible. and 59. It, it's amazing. It is an amazing How machine. far Bitcoin has come from Satoshi mining on his oh, CPU to, to really being an integral and major part of the world's biggest electrical grids. Yeah. It, um, it is it is incredible. My, my only hope is that the conversation can get a little more nuanced. Like, I know it's tough to just like, Bitcoin fans in general want to say things like, you know, it incentivizes renewable energy or, or it Bitcoin's balances the grid, yeah. you know, or things like this. And it's like, oh, man, that's you, you really alienate a lot of people that in the power world, in the power right? world. Exactly. Yeah. Like they look at that and they say balances the grid. You know, like, what are you what are you saying? Like, yes, you turn off, but that that almost causes more issues. You know, like it you're can, not it telling them exactly. And yeah. it just feels like. The, the conversation is lost and we kind of alienate a couple people like with look with I mean you got to communicate big ideas with you know digestible and digestible ways it's can be very and this is this is complicated to yeah. your point even if you know about it somewhere excuse me um you don't know about it there yeah <clears throat> right sure. if I know about it in Texas I, I don't know about it in North Carolina like they're, right. they're very different so um or I mentioned one Bitcoin is a battery you really uh, say this what do you think about that one? Oh man that is that has got to be <laughs> I, I have done so much work. I can't remember what it's called on the internet, where you, if you say one wrong thing and it takes like uh, so much. Yeah, there's much, some, somebody's law I, or whatever. Yeah, yeah I but can't remember what it is. But you that, mean when you say something wrong on the internet and then you get corrected? Or, um, no, it's, or it's, the, it's the, the level amount of, of the BS. It takes a lot more effort to counter BS than yeah. it does to create BS. But but I get it. You know, I mean, even, you know, Sailor comes out and says, like, it's digital energy, you know, and stuff like that. And it's like, oh, man. It's really not though. Like Bitcoin is more of an industrial. Like it's better to think about it as just a widget maker. You know, that's it. It can just make widgets so much better than anything else in the past, right? Like it can make widgets, and it doesn't even have to sell them, right? Like the Bitcoin network is is the off taker right, for them. Bitcoin. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And and that in and of itself is amazing. But the whole the whole Bitcoin is a battery thing. I mean. Like, I don't know. It's, it's not literally a battery. It's not literally I, I, I a battery. And I have, by the way, it is. I was right. It's it's called Brandolini's law. Brandolini's law. And it's uh, yes, it's it's something. I'm going to say this. It's it's the, the principle of bullshit asymmetry. That yes. it, that it takes a lot more effort to refute BS than it does to create it. Um, I think the battery idea theoretically is that um, because you can use electricity that you have now, um, and that you may not have later, or you may not want to use later, to create transportable money value value transportable value and so you're storing the electrical spend in the bitcoin that, but that's the same but as, it's a very simple like, that's the same as gold right like it's right. the same as you're expending work really anything, to get to the your gold. point any like, widget you create whole, that could have value later that's yeah. exactly right the thing is that battery has a very specific meaning in the power right, right grid, exactly right? Like, that's the thing the, yeah. the whole thing about batteries is that they can inject right in like electricity right. you can't right? take the electricity back out of the bitcoin and put it back into that's, the grid that's always so the first that's statement. literally what a battery does <laughs> that's, that's the but i but i i get it like there's something tangible in what bitcoin can do for the grid and just saying that bitcoin allows people to long power is just not as not as fancy as right 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 you right. know it's a battery or, or things like that you know i mean there there's the the great way to understand is that bitcoin's just buying electricity and as soon as that electricity becomes more useful for someone else right bitcoin can just relinquish that capacity right like like a generator that could have been curtailed or could have not chosen to be online was online because they had a customer in the Bitcoin miner. And that miner can then relinquish that capacity if it wants to. And so, you know, my thesis and a lot of people's thesis is that hash price is going to continue to trend down, right? Because you've got tons of miners that are now set up to where, you know, the spot price or they're they're hooked up to curtailing generators. Like that hash price is just going to continue to get pushed down and down. And what you're going to see is the Bitcoin mining revenue dollar is going to continue to get lower and lower and to the point where you know the area under the curve where miners are consuming is cheaper and cheaper so you're no longer going to see bitcoin mining as you know a competitor to residential customers right like it's just it's just going to seem absurd on its face you know it's like this bitcoin miners curtailing it 40 bucks you know like they're they're not really a competitor and that's going to make the conversation a little bit easier that we're having with these traditional grid people because you know we tried these arguments on them you're like oh bitcoin miner it's a, a consumer of first resort or last resort and they say well not really if you're consuming at 150 dollars you know you're actually competing and you're you're driving the price of everyone up 
right? Because it's a marginal, it's a marginal market. So any consumption raises the price. But if you're curtailing earlier, I think I think that's where we're trending, and that's going to be a much easier conversation. So, so some of the things that we've said as Bitcoin advocates are becoming more true over time. Yes, that's that's good. right. There's that's the, right. That's the, is that the positive? Spin? That's the positive. That's the positive <laughs> spin. You know? Yeah, I agree. Yeah, it's it's just such a complicated story. It really is. Um, <sighs> it, would you is. say that Bitcoin is Bitcoin electricity coin? You know, uh, wasn't like yeah. the, there's that Henry Ford. Um, uh, headline from an idea from the 1920s or something that yeah. money should be based on energy because it's I, I the universal it value. Yeah. No, it, and it's the mining side and also the the transmission side. I mean, to to transmit it anywhere in the world within one block, if you want. I mean, that's incredible. Yeah, you know, it, it's incredible. And and to be able to mine it and not need an off taker. You know, like when I when I was working at the solar. Uh, company, you know, I would I would model the Bitcoin mining side by side with you know hydrogen or concrete or something like this, and it's just like, oh, the story is so much more simple. Like I'm just I'm literally feeding the machines with electricity, and you know Bitcoin is effectively coming out of them, right? Like yeah. I don't have to I don't have to store the hydrogen, like I don't have to transport the hydrogen. You know, it's it's amazing. It's a really amazing you know, thing to be a part of and experience and, and build. Yeah. So. So you mentioned earlier, Blake, um, about the winter storm Yuri, right? What was that like? Uh, December twenty twenty one, maybe? Um, is it twenty? I think it's right. Twenty two, actually. February. I think it was, was it last year. I can't remember. Two years it's ago. Either time. February of twenty one. Time is a flat circle yeah. um, and an illusion. Um, so, but this we've talked a lot about the Texas grid. It's it's very interesting and unique. It's at the forefront of this deregulated way of running a grid. Um, but it gets a lot of hate in the national media for like the blackouts during Hurricane Uri or people saying it's fragile. Is that true? Is it fragile? Because to me, it seems very competitive and therefore um, dynamic. Yeah, I, I would agree with you that it's not as fragile as it seems. I think it's, I think it's a a victim of the transparency in in kind of a weird way. Like the the prices are so transparent and it gets so much press that. Whenever these things happen, it becomes a bigger story than it otherwise would. Everyone, like there you got happened, data and, and all, yeah, all this reporting. Yeah, that's right. And it's also, like we said, the whole wind revolution, right? So it, it's kind of like the poster child for whenever people want to say you know, overinvestment in renewables, lack of investment. You know, ERCOT is kind of like you know the perfect poster poster child to put that up as a bad thing. So. But like so, in other energy market, electricity grid. Again, I grew up in New England. It's actually getting, finally getting to be well known that the grid is in deep trouble in New England. They're literally shipping, buying That's right. giant tankers of natural gas from like abroad because of like the Logan Act and weird regulatory reasons why they, and then people have blocked a lot of pipelines in the area for environmental concerns, but like that, that's not stopping us from consuming That's right. up there. And there've been, there've been fears in many, because New England can have really bad winters that, there could be devastating blackout. A lot of the that um, region also uses heating oil for heating, which is very can be very expensive, and of course they don't produce up there. Anyway, it's very opaque, and people didn't really realize this. Or if we talk about in general a more opaque, a, a totally regulated monopolistic grid where there's one producer and you don't really know what's going on, right? Those could be fragile, and we just don't even know, right? I mean, there's yeah. no there's no transparency at all. Yeah, it's it's basically how does the risk present right like it the risk presents as low and then all at once right so like with ERCOT in winter storm Yuri right people always cite you know the renewables but it really what really tipped the scales and you can go back and you can look at the reports here it was correlated natural gas correlated natural gas outages where pipes froze right and because there's so much just in time like just in time natural gas fed generation that that was really a huge problem that wasn't addressed in the planning. And there had been, you know, some four gigawatts of coal retirements in 2018. So, you know, when everything is good and there's no winter storm, people look at the coal plants and say, well, this is an expensive, dirty, you know, 50-year-old coal plant. Let's just retire this. And they do the they run the study and it looks good and they retire it. But then there's some correlated natural gas outage. And then ERCOT also had a nuclear unit trip, which is just to say, like, you know, any thermal plant can trip for a myriad of reasons. You know, yeah. it's not like just because you're a thermal generator that you're going to be up 100 percent of the time. There's forced outages. There's maintenance. There's all sorts of things that happen. And it was really this convolution of like all of these different things happened that caused winter storm Uri. There was, you know, wind derates, of course. There was the nuclear unit tripping, which you never want to happen during like the, the peak winter storm event. 
and then there was all these natural gas outages. And then, you know, because of this, ERCOT has, you know, publicly addressed, you know, we're doing weatherization. We're creating a new product for firm fuel, right? So now there's a new product where you have fuel on site, yep. not just in time natural gas pipelines, you know, because coal is really easy. You got pyramids of coal on site. You don't have to worry about just in time pipelines. And that's I the see. same for New England and things like this. This is really what this uh, this incentive to get off of fossil fuel is kind of doing is, you know, when times are good and it's easy to study the retirement of these different thermal assets that have been online for decades, you go ahead and retire them. And then all of a sudden you get left with this Rube Goldberg machine where it's like, yes, you know, we don't have that much fossil, but we're also importing a lot of fuel from our neighbor or a lot of power from our neighbor. And what does their fuel mix look like? Right. You know, like, oh, all of a sudden you've just kind of shifted, shifted your liability onto someone else and, you know, reduce your own independence. And so it's it's kind of an interesting thing that we're going into now where everyone's just kind of changing the shape of the problem of It's really interesting fuels. the amount of different um, strategies that grid operators are doing. And we were, I was asking you before, like worldwide, like is Texas an anomaly? Is it out on the fringe of the deregulated idea? Like where, where does it stand and what do other people do? Yeah, like, so just in general in the world, like this, how... this is a really deep topic. Like you, you are just scratching the surface <laughs> of power market structures. I mean, people, people spend their whole careers thinking about this. Right. Texas is on the forefront of deregulated electricity market design. Granular, right? like granular. Yeah. So Texas has a nodal market, right? So basically, every substation in ERCOT gets its own price, right? And so in intervals where there's no congestion, like 15-minute intervals where there's no congestion, each one of those prices on each substation is the same. But then, like we were talking about earlier, if you have a transmission constraint, you know, then maybe those specific substations over there have lower pricing, right? And so there's this very kind of granular market that you can get extremely efficient. And the whole purpose here is you know, there was people like me on the solar development or wind development or natural gas development side that have all these different substations to pick, right? And they can pick that one substation. They can run a model and say, okay, what does the pricing look like? What does, how often does this substation congest, right? You can get really into the wow. nitty gritty efficiencies of the market. And there's other markets like, you know, you mentioned, you know, there's Duke and other vertical integrated utilities where there isn't an army of different people trying different strategies. There's the planning department at Duke. And they're trying to optimize for how can I best, most efficiently run this market. And it, and it is an ongoing debate on what is the best outcome is going to be. You know, like yeah. does does this market produce the reliability that we want? You know, and in ERCOT and other free markets like this, it's a constant stakeholder-informed debate. You know, like ERCOT has meetings monthly, weekly of, you know, well, we need the reserve margin to be higher. How do we incentivize that? How do we change the pricing structure? It's uh, it's really interesting. Wow. Um, this is great, Blake. Um, thanks so much for coming on Galaxy Brains. Blake King from uh, Galaxy's Bitcoin mining team. Thanks for having me, Alex. That's it for this week's episode of Galaxy Brains. Thank you to our guest, Blake King from Galaxy's Bitcoin mining team. What an interesting conversation. So much going on there in Texas and power markets and Bitcoin. I can't believe how different all of the electrical grids are too. That's just a giant patchwork of wires and energy generators feeding this world with electricity that is just different everywhere. So interesting, the role Bitcoin mining plays in that. And of course, friend, thank you to our friend Bimnet Abibi from Galaxy Trading as always. Look, everyone have a safe and happy weekend and we will catch you next week. Thanks for listening to Galaxy Brains, the weekly podcast from Galaxy Research. If you enjoy the show, please like, rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. To follow Galaxy Research, sign up for our weekly newsletter at gdr.email, read our content at galaxy.com research, and follow us on Twitter at glxyresearch. See you next week.